Hey everyone, I'm Derek. I'm uh, so thankful to be here this morning at True Life Church. And uh, I, as has already been said, I'm the Director of Student Ministries at the Well Church in Boulder. So probably for me, that's like 80% to 85% of my job is dealing with college students because we're in a uh, college town. And then also uh, we started a youth ministry at our church this past year as well. And I kind of was uh, helping get that started to raise up leaders and stuff like that. And I just want you to know that I'm honored to be here this morning. And uh, I love church planting. So before I ever even um, moved to uh, the church I'm at now, I was a church planter in Boulder. And so uh, I've been in the thick of church planting for like years at this point. And I love it. My passion is for church planting. I think uh, church plants are necessary and they're needed and they hold a special place in God's heart. And so I'm just thankful that uh, I get to be here this morning and to, to teach and kick off the Advent season here with you. I am a husband and I am a father of two kids. I have a daughter that's nine. I have a son that is seven. And they uh, unfortunately couldn't be here this morning. They had responsibilities at their home church in Boulder, but uh, they're praying for you guys and praying for uh, the service and all that good stuff. Um, I want to start this morning and kind of kick the series off by teaching on one of the most foundational truths in the Christmas story. And so we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn there, Isaiah chapter 7. We're just going to look at one verse this morning, though. Uh, we'll look at some other verses as well, but this is kind of like the key verse that we are looking at, kind of diving into a little bit. And the reason we're just looking at one verse is because the truth contained in this verse holds a lot of power to it. There is so much power in the verse that we're going to look at. It contains power for ministering to other people. It contains power for serving others. It contains power for taking steps of faith that you might feel God is calling you to do. It contains power for making it through trials and hard times. It, there is a lot of power here, which is why we're just going to look at one verse this morning. Here it is. I'm going to read it, and then we'll pray, okay? Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 says this. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to um, preach on such a foundational truth to uh, not only the Christmas story, but just the redemption story in general, that you are Emmanuel. God, I pray that we would be uh, confronted with this truth this morning and that this truth would impact our heart, impact our lives, impact our decisions, that it would give us boldness, uh, that it would give us power to accomplish what you want to accomplish in our lives. In your name I pray. Amen. It says that the virgin will bear a son and she'll call his name Emmanuel. The word Emmanuel literally means God with us, which is the title of this series. God with us. God with you. God with me. My question for you this morning is really simple. It's this. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is with you? Like, like not abstract, but that God is actually with you relationally. Do you believe that God is present here in this moment? As you sang this morning and you sang to God, were you singing to a God that's distant? Were you singing to a God that you don't believe in? Were you singing to a God that you believe is not only real, but is close? and is with me in this moment. 
in your current circumstances. Maybe they're great. Like maybe everything is going really well in your life. I hope that's the case. Maybe it's not. Do you believe that regardless of your circumstances, that God is with you? Now, I'll be completely transparent here, okay? There are times in my life where I struggle with the reality of Emmanuel, that I struggle with the reality of, is God with me? Uh, as I said, uh, kind of at the beginning, I uh, originally moved to Boulder to be a part of a church plant. And, uh, you know, I'm really blessed to be at the church that I'm at now. It's been a really great church. It has helped me heal through some of the wounds that I experienced in church planting and honestly some wounds that I experienced long before church planting, which probably was why I church planted. Uh, uh, honestly, it's been really great uh, to work there. But let's be honest. If everything worked great and, and, and the vision I believed God gave me for the church that I planted, if that had come to fruition completely the way I envisioned it, would I be at the well? No, right? Like, I, I probably would not, because I would be at the church that I planted. And so there were times when I was in the thick of church planting, where I am, you know, like, I moved out here with a step of faith. I raised hundreds of thousands of dollars in a step of faith. What's going on? God, where are you? And I wrestled with this over and over and over again. And there were times in my life, and I know many of you probably cannot relate to that, and that's great. But I know that there are times in my life where I prayed, believing God for things. And then I felt like I was answered with silence. And I know we've all been there, right? You feel like your prayers aren't getting anywhere. You're wondering, God, where are you? Maybe some of you are there right now. You're wondering, God, where are you? Uh, maybe your finances are super tight, and it's the holiday season, so they're probably tight for a lot of people, but they feel especially tight for you, and you feel like, I can't catch a break financially. And this is tough, and I'm looking around, and I'm like, God, you know, I'm trying to trust you with my finances. I'm giving. I'm being generous, and where are you? And you're just asking that question. Maybe you're doing your best to live free from the things that God has set you free from, but you keep falling back into the same temptations and running back to your old life, running back to an addiction. And you're like, God, where are you? Like, I'm trying to live for you, but this, this pull on my life, this addiction is so strong, I'm wondering where you are. Maybe you've been running 100 miles an hour for months without rest. And you don't see an end in sight. And you don't see the rest coming. You know, God, God, where are you in this moment? Maybe at work you were overlooked for a promotion. You know, God, I've tried to honor you. I've tried to serve you. I've tried to work hard. What's going on? Maybe you're in the trenches of parenting right now. Look, I'm there. It's difficult. I know if you've got teenagers, you're probably like, just wait. It's going to be even worse. But it's hard. And so you're like, I need God to help me parent, but I'm looking at how this is turning out. I'm looking at my kids. I'm struggling on a daily basis, and I'm wondering where God is. See, usually when we think about God and the way that we relate to God, we typically relate to God in one of three ways. We either take an atheistic view, which is I don't believe in God. Uh, like God is not real, so therefore God is not here. God is not with me because God is a figment of some people's imagination. Um, 
And maybe you're here this morning and that would describe your view of God. Maybe you're like, you just kind of wandered into church because you're curious about some things. Uh, maybe you're here because you were visiting some family over Thanksgiving. And so you're just kind of checking things out or you were forced to come here or whatever to be like a good member of your family. And so that would be the category that you fall into. I hope to change your mind this morning. Uh, maybe, uh, if we don't fall into that view, many times what we fall into is a view that views God as real, potentially, but if he is real, he's distant. And so this would be like agnosticism. Maybe God's real, maybe God is not real, but we can't really know because if God is real, he hasn't revealed himself. He's, we don't know. And so if God exists, he's distant. This would be deism. You know, God created the world, I believe that, but yet he just kind of left it, left it to kind of do its own thing and doesn't reveal himself or have any part in the day-to-day -day operations of life. Uh, honestly, every other religion except Christianity has a distant God that does not want a relationship with us, does not want to be with us, just kind of gives us some rules, follow them, do the right thing, or eternal punishment. Like, that's pretty much every religion except for Christianity. Um, but there are even sects of Christianity that would say, you know, God is real, but God is distant. In other words, God is always angry with us. God is always disappointed in us. God is always, like, looking over our shoulders, just waiting for us to mess up. And so God is real, but God is distant. God could never love me. God could never um, take care of me because I'm just a huge disappointment to God. Therefore, like, he doesn't want really anything to do with me. He saved me, but, like, only because he had to. Um, the other view, which is the view I want to argue for this morning, is that God is real and God is with us. The God is not distant. The God is relational. And Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 that we looked at speaks to this truth. And it answers these questions. Is there a God? And if there is a God, is that God distant or close? Is that God relational or distant? See, God gives us this prophecy about the Messiah, about Jesus, to offer us hope. Now, specifically in this text, he is actually, he is actually offering hope to the people of Israel uh, because they are going through a big time of uncertainty in their nation. And they've got two kingdoms that are breathing down their neck Two kingdoms that are plotting to overthrow them, to conquer them, and they're scared. And so God gives this prophecy to Isaiah, and he promises them that, hey, I've got you. I'm going to take care of you. Uh, let me show you what I mean so you know I'm not making all this stuff up. Actually, in verse 15, after it says he will be called Emmanuel, it says, He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. So in other words, what God is saying is he's saying, Israel, I know you face a threat. I know you face a time of uncertainty, but I'm going to protect you. And there's going to be an actual child born named Emmanuel. And when this child, before this child even knows the difference between good and evil, before this child even knows how to choose between right and wrong, those two nations that you are facing, they're not even going to be in existence anymore. You're not even going to have to worry about them. So he gives this promise to them, and contextually what he's saying is, this child's very name, Emmanuel, is a reminder to Israel that God is with them still, that God has not forsaken them. 
that God has not abandoned them. As they go through these times of uncertainty that they're going to face over and over and over again as a nation, they have this reminder of Emmanuel, God is with them. When they feel abandoned and forgotten by God, they have this reminder that God is with them. So there's this immediate fulfillment of the prophecy, but this prophecy goes much deeper and beyond the circumstances that Israel is facing. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Matthew chapter 1, if you have your Bibles and want to flip there, uh, Matthew chapter 1, we'll start in verse 18. This is the story of the birth of Jesus. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Listen to this. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means... God with us. You see, this prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7 had an immediate fulfillment, but also it was symbolic of something that would happen uh, roughly 680 or 700 years in the future, where a literal virgin would conceive and give birth to God with us. And God with us would save us from our sins. And so I want you to see three truths about God with us this morning from this passage that will hopefully offer you some hope this Advent season and a reminder that God is with us, okay? The first one is this, God is real, okay? God is real. And you may be wondering that this morning, is God real? And without diving too deep into this, I'm gonna argue yes. Yes, God is real. Some of the strongest evidence actually for God's existence is found in passages like this that God is Emmanuel, that a virgin will conceive and give birth to a child. Um, there are multiple prophecies in the book of Daniel. For example, in uh, the second half of the book of Isaiah, a king named Cyrus, from history, Cyrus the Great, was predicted hundreds of years by name before he ever appeared on the scene. Our church just finished studying uh, the book of Daniel, which names kingdoms. Uh, which predicts kingdoms rising and kingdoms falling that we can trace literally to the year, uh, hundreds of years before they happen. Uh, the prophecy that we looked at this morning about the birth of Jesus was given about 680 years before Jesus was born. As a matter of fact, if you look at the Old Testament, uh, conservative estimates say that there were about 108 prophecies about the Messiah that were fulfilled in Jesus hundreds of years before Jesus was born. The book of Psalms even prophesied the crucifixion 200 years before crucifixions even appeared on the scene. Like, do you understand the odds of that? Like, like if I say something's going to happen, there's what, a maybe 50-50 chance? That's very generous. And so, like, that's a coin flip, right? So, what are the odds that if I flip a quarter 50 times in a row, I'm going to land on heads every single time? Any mathematicians in the house? 
Like that's a lot, let me tell you, okay? Because this math has been done. This would take 10 million men flipping quarters 10 times a minute. And here's the likelihood of, of 50 times in a row on heads. That would happen once every 9,000 years. Now what are the odds of landing on heads 108 times? Because that's the conservative estimate that we have here of prophecies just about the Messiah, not including things not about the Messiah that were fulfilled. And so if the prophecy of Isaiah 7 teaches us anything, it teaches us that God is real because only God can be sovereign over history and the present and the future. Second thing I think this shows us this morning is this, is that God is not only real, but God is with us. His name, Emmanuel, God with us. So Advent, the Christmas season, is about the fact that God took on flesh, left the splendor of heaven to dwell here. Literally God with us in flesh, born into poverty, was a baby that cried, that kept his parents up all night. Think about this for a second. Our sustainer, the one who carries the breath of life in his lungs, relied on nourishment from a mother, relied on another human being, one of his creations, to survive. He went through the angsty teen years, puberty, raging hormones, was tempted in every area just as we are experienced betrayal like we experienced, experienced pain like we experienced, experienced disappointment like we experienced, experienced fear just like us, which is why Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 says that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but instead was tempted in every way like we are, yet without sin. In other words, hear me on this, there is nothing Nothing you will experience in your life, no pain, no betrayal, no hurt, no range of emotions that your creator has not felt as well. And because of that, he can be God with us. He can sympathize with us. He can understand what we're going through because, and he can walk through those things with us because he has been through those things too. He models how to live through those things, how to endure those things. Even the thing that we fear most that we have no control over. You know, we have a lot of control over our circumstances, right? Many things that happen to us, even on the negative sometimes, are like a result of our own decisions. Uh, not everything. Many things happen to us as the result of somebody else's free will, too. But even the thing that we have absolutely no control over, that every single one of us will face, death. He went through that, too. Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. Jesus says, I died and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. So I died, and when I walked out of the grave, I didn't just conquer death, I took the keys with me. And death doesn't have power anymore. So Jesus didn't just endure death, he conquered death. And so Christmas, the Advent season, is about the God of the universe humbling himself, caring about you and I enough to come and be with us. And even when Jesus departed earth, his last words in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, he said, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And when Jesus left, he left his Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us so that God can forever be with us. So God is real and God is with us, which leads me to the last truth found in this passage, which is that God's promises are true. 
God's promises are true. If the prophecies are true, if God is real, if Jesus came to be Emmanuel, then I can trust him. And I can trust that his promises are true. Assyria and Babylon, those two nations that threatened Israel, they're gone, just like God said they would be. And what, God, what has God promised us? God has promised us a lot of things. Uh, but one of them is that he will be Emmanuel, that he will always be with us, that God is with us. And because God is with me, I don't have to be afraid. So those tough decisions that I have to make, I don't have to make those decisions alone. God is with me. The pain that I experience, I don't have to walk through that pain alone. God is with me. The temptation that I face, I don't have to walk through that temptation alone. God is with me. The guilt that I feel, the condemnation that I feel, I remember that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and God is with me, reminding me of that through his Holy Spirit. The guilt, or the, I'm sorry, the trials that I face, the temptations that I face, I don't have to deal with those alone. The hurt that I face, I don't have to deal with that alone. Like we all wish that we could see the outcome of the situations that we go through, specifically the negative ones. Sometimes like we, we can't even see a light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe some of you experienced that right now. And you're like looking and you're like, I don't even see a light at the end of the tunnel for what I'm going through. I feel like I need to remind you this morning that we have this promise from God that we have not been abandoned. That you are not alone. And God has provided for you in the past and he will provide for you in the future. There's a story in the Old Testament uh, where Israel has escaped captivity from Egypt. He's been, they've been led out of captivity by Moses. And they're wandering around in the desert and they're wondering, where is God? And they're looking around and they're like, did God just rescue us from slavery to bring us out here into the wilderness to die of hunger and to die of uh, thirst. And so Moses talks to God and then Moses talks to the people and he says, hey, starting today or starting tomorrow, God is going to provide for us and he's going to give us food. And when that food arrives, we are going to gather just what we need for the day and we're not going to gather anything more. And then uh, God's going to take care of us. Don't take more than what you need. And so what happens? The next morning, bread falls from heaven some substance. They don't know what it is, so they call it manna, which literally means what is it, which I find hilarious. So creative in their naming. And some people did exactly what Moses told them not to do. They took more than what they needed. They brought it into their tent, and then the next morning when they woke up, it was rotten. Worms were in it. Why? Like, why wouldn't God let them take more than what they needed? Because he wanted to remind them of this foundational truth. I am with you. I will take care of you. You don't have to worry about tomorrow because I've got that too. I provided for you today. When you wake up tomorrow, it'll be there too. I will be here for you. I will be here with you. I'll provide for you. You don't have to fear the future. You see, the truth that God is with me sets me free from fear because he is with me. I don't have to be afraid. Now, I say all of this and I know immediately where your mind goes because I'm kind of an analytical thinker as well. You start to say, okay, I know that God is with me. I know this whole message is about, I need to remember that God is with me, but how do I do that, right? Because I could, I could just give you some, just remember God's with you, see you later, I'm gonna pray. But how do I remember? Like when I'm going through something, how do I do that? Let me give you two ways this morning, okay? Because I want this to be really practical for you. Um, first, you look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. And here's what I mean. My hope is not anchored in what I believe will eventually happen. 
My hope is not anchored in like a preferred future outcome of my circumstances. My hope is anchored in a person. My hope is anchored in a historical event where Jesus came and he lived a perfect life and he died and he was buried and he rose again. See, God demonstrated his love for me. He showed it so I can look to the cross. I can look to Jesus and I can remember that if God loved me enough to send his son for me, then God loves me enough to help me through these circumstances that I'm in, that I don't have to go through this alone. And this is a symbol of God's faithfulness. The cross, the empty tomb is a symbol of God's faithfulness to us. Because all of us have experienced God's faithfulness. So we can look like to the past of the cross, but honestly, all of us at, at some point in our lives have experienced the faithfulness of God, have we not? Like if you have kids, like God makes the rain fall on the just and the unjust, the believers and the unbelievers. So you have experienced, no matter where you fall on that spectrum, you've experienced the faithfulness of God. Like I, there are times in your life or maybe you've wondered, I don't, I don't think I can make it another day. And yet, you're here. God preserved you. And God took care of you. There were times, I was, as I was thinking about this this week, I was thinking about early in my marriage. Uh, I was fresh out of college. I did not get the job of my dreams. I was living in northwest Arkansas with a new wife, making very little money. And there were times where our cabinets were straight up empty. And we didn't have food. And we didn't know what we were going to do. We didn't know where our meals were going to come from. And I used to get irritated because, like, in college, I went to a Christian college that was super expensive. And in college, there would always be these people that would give these testimonies about how they owed $40,000 for their school, and then a check arrived in the mail. And I'm like, of course it did. That's never happened to me. And I remember early on in my marriage when my cabinets would be empty, and it was like, a long time away from payday because I was getting paid once a month. My wife was getting paid once a month. We were having to make very little money stretch really far and it would be kind of like the end of the month. And then people would just randomly show up at our house and be like, hey, guys, we felt like we needed to just bless you. And they would just show up and fill our cabinets with food. Saw the faithfulness of God firsthand taking care of us. Now, maybe you haven't experienced something like that, but you have experienced the faithfulness of God. So remember that. Look back to the times that God took care of you because it will give you hope for the future. Set those things up as a stone of remembrance. Raise an Ebenezer and be reminded of God's faithfulness to you. The second thing I'll say is this. Trust in God is cultivated through relationship. Like if I'm not spending time with God, it's really hard for me in the moment to feel that God is with me, that God is near and I'm talking about like really like basic things. Spend time in God's written word. Spend time in prayer. Spend time in silence and solitude before your creator. Spend time just enjoying God through Sabbath and through fun and through good food. Like, like do those things and remember God. Because it's hard for me to trust someone that I don't know. And it's hard for me to believe that someone's there that I don't have a relationship with because trust is cultivated through relationship. And we have the God of the universe who promises to be with us and wants to know us relationally. We have this invitation from God. You can know me. I will be with you. I want to know you. And as I know God more 
as I go through trials and I go through adversity and as I spend time with God, I begin to see God's heart and that God is for me and that God is all about his glory and my good and that those two things are not mutually exclusive things. See, I don't have a promise that I won't go through hardships, but I do have a promise that I don't have to go through those things alone. And so I would invite you this morning, if you don't have a relationship with the Creator through Jesus Christ, I would invite you to put your hope in the one who promises to be with you. And if you'd like to do that, like you'd, here's, here's what it means to become a Christian, okay? You take your faith off of yourself, your own actions, your own ability to overcome the trials on your own. Your, I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps mentality. Your, your perceived goodness, which you're really not as good as you think you are. And it's your attempts at doing life on your own. All of these things are sin. You repent, you turn from those things, and you put your faith and your hope in Emmanuel, Jesus and his death, and his burial, and his resurrection for you as the only hope you have. And if you follow Jesus already, then um, I hope this Advent season will drive you deeper into a relationship with your Creator. Because the reality of God with us for the Christian is an anchor for your soul. See, anchors are the most important part, like one of the most important pieces of equipment on a ship. Because when storms come and you're in the sea and the waves start to pick up, it's the anchor that keeps your boat from capsizing. It's the anchor that keeps uh, you on course in the direction that you're trying to head in a storm. And it's important as we deal with the unpredictability of life and all of the stuff that happens to us that we have an anchor, something secure that I can cling to when the waves rise. Something secure that I can cling to that will keep me on course instead of veering off course into, into losing my faith, into heresy, into, into whatever. I need this anchor for my soul. When God doesn't seem to line up with my expectations, I need this anchor. And here's my anchor. God is Emmanuel. He is with me. And as I am reminded that God is with me, it, it washes away my cynicism, it washes away my fear, it washes away my angst, my discouragement, my need to control every situation in my life. And as I struggle to keep my head above water, as the seas rise, I remember from Isaiah 7 that my God is real, that my God is with me, and that I can trust him. He is Emmanuel. Now, one of the practical ways that you can put this into practice this morning, this reminder that God is with us, is through communion, uh, which we will partake of together here in just a minute. And when you take the bread, which represents the body of Jesus, which was broken for you, and you dip it in the juice, which represents the blood of Jesus that was shed for us, what you're doing is you're actually being reminded of this truth, that God took on flesh and died a brutal death on a cross, but didn't stay dead, was raised again to save us from our sins, to be with us forever, to send his Holy Spirit to live inside of us. And so when we take communion, we don't take communion with sadness. We take communion in celebration of what Jesus accomplished for us, that he is our Emmanuel. Let's pray together. God, thank you that you are our Emmanuel. Thank you that you are with us. Thank you for this reminder this morning. For those of us in here that are struggling, 
that are suffering, that are looking around at our situations and our circumstances, and we're wondering where you are, I ask this morning that you would draw near to us, that you would remind us who you are, that you would remind us that you are Emmanuel, that you haven't gone anywhere, that you haven't abandoned us. But God, you, you love us and you are near to us. And we see that in your son, Jesus, and what he accomplished for us through his death and his burial and his resurrection. I ask that this would be a truth that gives us hope that we can cling to this morning. In your name I pray, amen.